Roger, Hodkinson, not Hodgkinson, Hodkinson. And uh, he has been deemed a, an untouchable part of the lower cast by YouTube. Um, I uploaded his video, episode 411, and I received a two-week suspension for, quote, spreading medical misinformation that contradicts the World Health Organization. So you cannot contradict the, the party line, which, um, you know, our talk inspired me so much towards the end that I uploaded it knowing I was going to get suspended, and I did it anyway because I was feeling patriotic, and I don't regret it at all. I've moved my whole libraries to BitChute and Rumble. I'm getting more views than ever on Spotify, and uh, I hope uh, YouTube collapses. I hope they collapse or at least change their ways. But um, it's your episode is what pushed me over the edge and realizing it's got to stop because the censorship's never going to stop. starts with elections, goes to COVID. Tomorrow it's going to be you can't. You can't talk about uh, police brutality or you can't criticize Taiwan. or It's never going to stop. So with that, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, please introduce yourself for those that didn't listen to the last episode. Well, thank you, Tommy. And um, you're in very good company um, because every interview I've ever done internationally has been taken down very promptly. Good. And um, there's certainly a message in that, I think. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, the extension of this is um, soon they they won't even allow us to think. Um, oh. oh, yeah. And we'll all become lemmings um, charging off the cliff um, in unison. Um, the destruction of independent thought and liberty uh, is is what's at stake here. In, in essence, it's a one, one, just one example of how the woke, um, woke way of living and, and the woke way of politics has um, infiltrated everything in life, of which this is merely one example. Mm. And to push back hard on this um, as something that we can attempt to stop in its tracks could be... Um, a start of dismantling wokeism, which uh, is, you know, a much bigger issue for society than even COVID. Mm -hmm. It's and it's it's very easy to sit back and say, uh, I this is what I did for a while. I can't take on Google. It's a one point five trillion dollar company. I, what am I going to do? I'm just but that's the mindset that allows this to, to flourish when little channel after little channel starts throwing up their hands and say, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm going to go to that is how YouTube didn't come, arise overnight. Facebook didn't come out in a day. Netflix forever was the little brother to Blockbuster. These things take time, but eventually they cascade and they build momentum. So we just have to start and it has to start again with little things. They won't let me talk about COVID. Well, no, you draw the line now before it comes, hey, you can't talk about the extermination camps. Like, you know, it's draw the line now. But the last episode, which was fantastic, this is a going to take a different approach. You have several um, points about the whole, uh, the madness of the, the, the COVID kind of insanity that has taken over the globe for the last 16 months or so. So let's get started with that. How about you, you take it away? Yes, thank you, Tommy. Um I thought to, to make this more interesting for your listeners and viewers, um, if I could uh, elaborate on what I consider to be 11 of the major failures in this entire madness, um, 
I could comment on each one of them and then um, over to you for um, a conversation on that before we move on to the next one. And uh, I think that could make it uh, quite interesting uh, to listen to. Awesome. Yeah. And I, and I know I said, let's run for an hour. If it goes over, let, I mean, let's, let's do the 11 points thoroughly. If it goes over an hour, then we'll keep going. It's um, let's do it thoroughly. I don't want to put you in. I don't want to say you got to get it out in this amount of time. Let's just forget the schedule. Let's do it thoroughly and do it correctly. Yes, I, I agree. Let's, let's see where the conversation goes yes, um, in a very unstructured way. Okay. So let's lead off um, with, um, you know, it's the old story. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them and tell them what you told them. So, <laughs> I'm I'm going to tell you what I told them um, first. Let's okay. work back, shall we? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Summary statement, and I stand by this with some qualifications. Um, it's the greatest hoax ever in human history. Nothing has worked, nothing could work, nothing did work, and nothing will work. We have to learn to accommodate to it. That's the message. It's nothing more than a bad flu season with a certain qualifications that we can come to. And so I could say that's the end of the podcast. What else do you want to know? <laughs> well, I guess we wrapped it up, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, there's nothing you can do. It's... So let, let's start off with the first failure then, uh, Tommy. The really big failure here that is absolutely inexcusable is the reality that Ian Doctor, as he calls himself, uh, Neil Ferguson at Imperial College London, put out these ridiculous um, modelling scenarios right at the get-go. He was known to be notorious from his previous predictions none of which panned out, um, orders of magnitude, um, an order of magnitude higher than uh, what actually transpired with previous pandemics. Um, remember that uh, he's a theoretical physicist. He's not a physician or, a, or an epidemiologist. If you like, he's a mathematician who knows nothing about medicine. But anyway, he came up with these numbers as a result of what was going on in Milan, sadly. Uh, Milan, by the way, has the highest concentration of older people in, in all of Europe. And so they were sitting ducks, you might say. Um, but the big point is this, um, his numbers were not subjected to due diligence by any jurisdiction internationally. They were just assumed to be true. It was Armageddon coming at you on a train. And there was this panic, literally, there was this panic internationally, fanned by the media, picked up by the politicians, that resulted in the start of these interventions. That's how the whole thing started. If anyone had had the smarts to question the assumptions in his modeling, it would have been seen to have been no more than a bad seasonal flu that was coming and appropriate uh, measures could have been taken, which I could summarize very simply as common sense. Nothing else would have been needed. So that's how, it, that's how it all got started. That was the first and the biggest, the most massive failure was the assumption that this idiot who was known for making the most absurd projections 
previously, was somehow um, to believe this time around. So that, that, that was the first failure, Tommy. So I remember you uh, mentioning that the, the last time we spoke, and um, it, it, it does come down to it seems like it was hyped up and now it has to come. You know, it's like uh, I remember growing up, um, occasion, I lived in New Hampshire for a couple of years, and I remember I would get so excited about a coming snowstorm. I would watch the news with, like, my grandpa. I'd watch it every on the, on the 7, 7, 17, 20, every, every 10 minutes I'd watch it like a crazy person. And I'd get ready for the storm to come in and I'd look at the projections. 12 to 14 inches of snow. And yes, because I had lived in Arkansas, so I was like, yes, snow. When it didn't come through, it's almost like the city was so braced for it that everyone almost pretended it came through. The trucks, sometimes the snowstorm would miss entirely. You wouldn't get an inch, but you were prepared for 16. So the trucks would come by anyway and drop all the salt. They would lower the, the plows down. School would still be out. We would all still be you know, stocked up on food and water. We were all kind of playing the role because no one wanted to admit that like, oh man, we got had. And it kind of seems like that it's Armageddon's coming. This is a new virus of a coronavirus of SARS-CoV-2. It's coming. Everyone's going to die. And it might not be that, but we almost, it's like we have to save face for no other reason than to save face. Is that, is, would, is that somewhat accurate or is that, was that a... Yeah, I think that's, that's a very good analogy. <laughs> it's, um, you know, the, the, uh, the media gorges on crises, yeah. does it not? Yeah. It's, it's it a... loves calamity. Oh, it, it drives readership, advertising sales. That's what it's all about. It's not about the news. It's about making money out of advertising. And this, the more interest you can gin up, um, the better. And here was the big one, folks. Yeah. We can make a lot of money out of this, so let's just just, just let it rip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were complicit in the process because of amplifying those numbers from Ferguson in the most obscene fashion. The media was, un- the mainstream media I'm talking about now, was unquestionably complicit in fanning the flames right out of the gates. Do you remember the the shooting in France in, I think, fall 2015? Uh, I, I cannot remember the name of it. It was at a nightclub. 135 dead. It, it, it was horrible. It was, I, I cannot, it was Bastille? Was that the name of the club? It was something in France. It was fall 2015. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the news and going through on my phone. I was going to all the different websites. But there was one thing that kind of like jarred me kind of out of the trance of I'm looking at the news and realizing I was looking at uh, news gorging on this, like some sort of blood sacrifice. It was on the homepage of CNN. I got on a, on a big desktop iMac and they had the they had the edge to edge cover. And it was bodies in the streets with SWAT team. And it said in big letters, I mean, on the screen, they were like three, four inches tall across the entire front of the page of CNN. And it said bloodbath. And it was in that moment, I was like, I, this looks like they're hyping up the Super Bowl or they're hyping up a movie. And that's always kind of I've never been able to fully not see the news as that since. And a pandemic 
Trump is in charge. You know, is the world coming to a head? I mean, this is their. I mean, this is like their ritual sacrifice. This is this is the this is the fat cow. A pandemic. We haven't had one since 1918. They got close with Ebola. They got close with Zika. H1N1 was eh, but here it is. It's the big one. Like this is it. We're all yeah. And it and if it doesn't come through, well then why not artificially make it come through? Correct. And the, those those numbers fanned by the media. Were the opportunity for politicians to show their macho character. You know, we're we're going to beat this.、Uh, we're going to wrestle it to the ground. You know, we're going to we're going to be your savior.、Um, yeah, I, I'm as I said in your previous podcast, I'm a flagrant trumper, but he got this one dead wrong.、Mm-hmm. He did、um, dead wrong. The emergency was never there, and.、Uh, It's as you might say in American political lingo,、uh, it was a nothing burger, or there's no there there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things that have gone into the history books as、um, out of American politics,、um, phrases from American politics. Th- this is exactly that. This is nothing more than a bad flu that is picking off, sadly, older people at. Approximately four or five times more than it ever has done with the flu,、um, but on the converse side of that,、um, fewer people are, are working well under sixty-five with no com no comorbidities. Fewer people are dying of of、um, COVID than they did with the flu in previous years.、Mm-hmm. But e- even the numbers of people who are dying in nursing homes, they do have to be. They do have to be analysed in an appropriate fashion. That's not intended to scare.、It、should be the government's role. Should be intended to soothe and make sure that there's no overreaction by everyone. Because I could I could explain the statistics in two dramatically different ways. I could tell you in great big blazing headlines that five times more elderly people are dying of COVID than are dying of the flu. Yes, that's true. But what if I reverse that and said, "Guess what? Ninety-five percent of those people who do get COVID, even if it's truly COVID as opposed to a false positive, but let's just accept those numbers as accurate for a minute. Ninety-five percent of those people will, in fact, survive." That's a very different way of expressing the same statistic, isn't it?、Um, it's 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 like those polls. Sorry to interrupt. It's like those polls that are like thirty percent of young people think that so and so is the best president ever, and it's like that's a really unique way of saying seventy percent don't think that, right? It's it's people、yeah. that say you have a ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance of surviving the vaccine. Why、yeah. can't we use that logic with COVID? Why does it have to be flipped? If it's COVID, you know, if it's COVID, you're you're dead, man. Not one life. But when it's a vaccine that causes blood clots, that causes、uh, Pfizer, the new one—that's the new study as of yesterday—showing that it, it can cause neuro de- neurodegenerative diseases.、Uh, we know about the blood clots, and then a study that came out last week in Germany, I believe, about Pfizer, maybe AstraZeneca, is that it can actually cause herpes outbreaks. It's there are all these things that, hey man, if this was a vaccine for Ebola, I'd be like, okay, you know, I might get herpes. But okay, it's it's Ebola. I don't want to bleed out of my skin. Yeah. When it's a yeah. when it's a cold, I, 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 you know, it's 
it's but you can't talk about it you cannot talk about it you cannot and to me it's the voltaire quote to find out who controls you simply uh discover who you cannot criticize (laughs) criticize you 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 criticize him they break in your house he's in control there's another voltaire quote that i love and i'll try and remember it accurately um uh it's about medicine and he said famously hundreds of years ago which is as true today as it was then he said um medicine is the art of amusing the patient while nature cures the disease Now he was he was a couple of centuries ahead of his time, recognizing the the impot the impotence of medicine. We get carried away thinking that medicine is this incredibly scientific, super sophisticated machine that's going to stop us from dying, you know, from anything, with all these many wonderful discoveries, MRIs, stents. Uh, you know, targeted chemotherapy for for cancer, unquestionably. But the vast bulk of medicine today is uncurable. There are degenerative diseases which we feed people pills for to kind of minimize the symptoms, but nowhere close to curing them. Talking about um, arthritis, um, talking about heart disease, uh, atherosclerosis, um, you know, the, the list goes on. Just about the only things we cure in modern medicine are infections with antibiotics and surgery by surgeons who, in my opinion, are the only the only real doctors. They they actually cure people. The rest of us the rest of us push pills. And um you know, Voltaire was right on. Right on. Have... Let nature cure the disease. That's exactly what should be happening today with COVID. We cannot do anything. We cannot control it. We can't contain it. We can't even, we don't even have agreed ways of treating it that are um, the magic bullet. We don't have a magic bullet for COVID that we could talk about vitamin D and other things later on, but there's no magic bullet. We have to learn to live with it just as we learn to live with the risk of getting into a head-on collision driving to work every day, which, by the way, kills more people on an annual basis than the working well going to work um, uh, than COVID does. Uh, Head-on collisions, uh, motor vehicle accidents for the working well, kill more people in the working well age group than COVID. So, you know, Government is, should not be thinking of itself as the the ultimate way of protecting us from everything. Do they want us to stop driving because we just might get into a head-on collision because of our own incompetence? No, we are in charge of holding that bloody wheel and get out of my life. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the same argument I always use. You know, there are all these. There are all these weird parallels and contradictions between the left and the right. You know, the right, which where I identify as, is don't tell me what guns I can own. Like I can, I can own whatever I want. I'm not going to kill anybody. I want a gun, and don't tell me I can't own one. Stay out of my life. Beautiful. On the left, don't tell me what drugs I can and can't use. I'm an adult. If I can do drugs and manage my use of them and still go to work every day, then great. It doesn't matter. 
it's Dr. Hodkinson, I think you froze up. Oh, oh no, you oh you know, you're staying still. I thought your image froze. You're staying yeah. completely still. That was awesome. No, um, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm hanging on every word. Okay, you okay. Say. On the left they say, you know, don't tell me what drugs I can and can't do. If I can maintain my own working addiction and go to work, then what do you care? What do you care if I you know, if I have same sex marriage or sex change? And I agree with both of those. But when they come to the opposites, all of a sudden they become the opposites. On the right it's more so we shouldn't be able to do drugs. And on the left it's you shouldn't be able to own guns. Everyone what we really are is we all want our own freedoms and we defend those viciously. But then there are these weird things where we do concede it to the government to look over. And the reality is, is there is risk. If I want to go get drunk as hell right now, okay, I might die. I might choke on my vomit. If I want to eat uh, McDonald's every day for the rest of my life, I'm free to do that. If I want to go pick up smoking because I think it looks cool. I'm free to do that. That's the beauty is you're free to you're free to go watch because no matter what, if you go to the gym every single day and you exercise and you calorically restrict yourself and you meditate and you and you drink clean water and you know what happens? You still die. You still die. You might get to 100. That oxidative respiration, that respiration, I, oxidation, the anaerobics, the, the mitochondria, there will be oxidative stress. Free electrons will kill you. If nothing else kills you, the literal act of breathing, the electron transport chain will kill you. If nothing else can, does, oxygen does. I can assure you, having been a pathologist all my career, that death actually does happen. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's good Lord. It's have you read and then we'll we'll go to the next point. Have you read House of God by Samuel Shem? It's no. that's his that's his it's, that's his pen name. Um, I think his name is a doctor. I think it's Berg, Nick Berg. I think he was a uh, he was a Harvard. He went to Harvard Medical School and did Harvard residency in the seventies. And um, he wrote this book called House of God, and it's about residency at Harvard. And how insane it was. The drugs they were doing to stay awake, the suicides, the sex in the closets at the hospital. It's just insane. And it's it's one of the most like widely read books. I remember bringing it up at my med school interviews and they would all smile. They're like, yeah, they've, they've read House of God. In the book, Samuel Shem, he finally – he's going crazy trying to compete with these other Ivy Leaguers. And he finally, he's at the best. He's at like, you know, Brigham Young or wherever. He's at the one in Boston, maybe Mass General. And he, he finally decides that he's just done with medicine. But he doesn't want to quit. So he's like, I'll just get fired. So what he does is he stops treating his patients. He just stops. He starts giving them saline. And slowly but surely, he starts becoming the best doctor. All of his patients survive. Like the donors to the hospital, the ones that the wings are named after, you know, this is the Kerrigan suite. They start coming to him. They're like, I heard you're the best. And the dean of medicine, like, brings his wife to him. And he just gives her, like, he gives her, like, a multivitamin and some saline solution. And all of her disease, they all start to survive. And that's why at the end he finally quits and becomes a psychiatrist. <laughs> because he goes, you can't fix it. He goes, if young people come to the hospital, you die. If old people come to the hospital, they survive. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. But... He goes, you can't tell him that. You've got to hold up the facade of we know what we're doing. But that- yeah, I, I, I haven't read it. it. It sounds extreme to me. Um, <laughs> there's certainly a great deal to be said for placebo medicine, which, mm-hmm. of course, is now essentially illegal. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people... <laughs> the vast majority of people who are uh, walking into a general practitioner's office um, 
have essentially a psychosomatic condition and they're worrying unnecessarily about something and um, they could be helped enormously by just giving them salt pills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, but that, could I move on to the sure, second? Sure. Part? Yeah, yeah. You t- um, take control of the conversation because I, I get excited and I go off into the weeds. So you, you take the wheel. Well, that, that's fine. We're both excitable people. That okay. makes for interesting listening. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, there was a failure to inform the public that there was no consensus in the medical literature for any of the draconian restrictions so arbitrarily introduced. I'm talking about, first of all, these things, these offensive things. (laughs) This happens to be an N95 mask. They're not available, they're too expensive. Um, They're very uncomfortable. People don't wear them. But they, these are the best there is. And even these are useless. They do not um, trap the size of particle that, repre- that the virus represents. Another way of saying that is that nanoscale, nano is a very small measurement of length, nanoscale um, problems cannot be solved with macro scale solutions. Mm-hmm. It's intuitively obvious um but that seems to have been lost on 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 the politicians let's talk a little bit about masks there are really only two reasons uh, to wear a mask um at the end of the day one is to stop me from giving it to you well let's dispense with that one very quickly because that's how we used to behave very responsibly in previous flu epidemics it was called we didn't call it this at the time this is one of those new words that's crept into the lexicon that I hate. We, we used to self-quarantine, didn't we? Otherwise known mm-hmm. as staying home, right? We stayed home. Let's talk in the vernacular here. We stayed home. We were responsible people. We didn't go to work. We didn't visit granny. And uh, we stayed home. Mm-hmm. We didn't need anyone to tell us. We had no testing required. We acted responsibly as mature adults. We stayed home. We got chicken noodle soup, sprinkled it with Tylenol, we sweated it out, and when we felt well, we went back to work with, again, no testing from anyone. In the process thereof, we infected the rest of our family, who were shuttling the chicken noodle soup to and fro. And everyone knew that the family got it, or a significant number of them got it, and that was a good thing. It built herd immunity the natural way. So, to cut to the chase, um, mass to stop me, f- infected me, from giving it to you is simply a non-starter. It was elegantly solved in generations past by personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. The other reason for wearing a mask is to stop me from getting it from you. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be around, right? Yeah. <laughs> you should be, if you're coughing that much, <laughs> you, you, should, you shouldn't be around. Um, but it, it's been shown conclusively before COVID ever struck by all the major organizations, WHO and, and so on, decades of research to show conclusively that masks don't stop me from getting it from you. Then, of course, there was the famous uh, study in Denmark, the so-called Danish study, which was a controlled trial that showed that emphatically. It's a dead issue. What remains is the absurdity of billions of people walking around with diapers on their faces that solve no useful purpose except 
showing compliance under threat, showing virtue signaling, and sometimes simply a fashion statement. We've seen how, you know, Pelosi ponces around with all these fancy masks on her face trying to make herself look pretty. Well, you know, it's not working, Nancy. You know, it actually doesn't make you look prettier at all. Um, so, you know, the, the mask issue is dead. Um, and uh, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's absurd that billions of people are doing this thinking it's going to be helpful when it's just not it puts a face on if i make a could make a pun on this i mean sometimes the best way of making a point is to make other people look ludicrous you know masks are the face of the issue aren't they they're the visible face of the issue you see people with masks everywhere if you took the masks off every everyone even if these lockdowns continued, um, the, the world would seem a lot freer place, wouldn't it? it yeah, it, yeah, it's that's. I think it's what it is. Is it's. I just had on a guy before this, my buddy Dale, who's uh, in Delta Force, and he was like, you know, we're seeing with these masks, people losing their common sense, and it kind of illustrated. It's like, no, what we're seeing is we're seeing a bunch of people that never had it. They didn't lose it. What we're seeing is we're illuminating a lot of people that, I mean. Listen, in 2003, I mean, we just beat the drums and went to Iraq. Like, th these are the same, it's the same elite group. It's the same incestuous financial hyper elite in charge. It, these are the people that, you know, lied about the Gulf of Tonkin. These are the people that lied about babies and incubators. These are the people that lied about WMDs and anthrax. I, I, I just, all of a sudden, like, they're telling the truth about this. Forget all the lies in the past. Now they're telling the truth. I, I'm sorry, but it, in hindsight, we always look back and say we got duped into the Vietnam War. We got duped in the night or into into Iraq. We, but all of a sudden, it's now we're looking at them and we're like, it's the truth. And now I know a lot of people are making a lot of money by you know business being diverted to a couple of corporations. And I know that there are vaccine patents and these guys are making money hand over fist. But they're telling the truth. They're telling the truth. I know that. They passed the Patriot Act, and now it's been abused to spy on and do domestic surveillance. But I, but no, these new these new uh, passports, these new vaccine passports, they won't be abused. They won't be abused for political gain. I know they're censoring at a level that hasn't been done since 1933 Germany. But this won't this won't keep. Well, I mean, at a certain point, it's like, are we getting what we deserve? Is is this Darwinian selection? Hey, if we just march off the cliff, maybe we deserve to end up in internment camps. Like, is this well, nature? They, They've been very. We'll talk about censorship as as one of the reasons why okay. people are following these ludicrous um, mandates. Mm -hmm. um, we can we can talk about that sure. later. But let's just complete the section on oh, sorry, the mandates sorry. on on lockdowns. Um, lockdowns have never ever been tried before in the history of public health. Um, they're there as the ultimate absolute. Um, we don't ever want to do this um, process if you have something like Ebola going around, right? Uh, where you have to put very serious um, uh, efforts in place to control a deadly epidemic. But that is not what COVID is. As I said before, for the working well, COVID is nothing more than what might be called a trivial flu. But lockdowns have not only failed to produce any benefit 
as has come out of the woodwork when you compare, for example, the um, the death stats out of Florida versus those in California, which adopted two very different strategies. And, and Sweden, of course, not being different from the range of um, uh, mortality, mortality statistics in, in, uh, in Europe. So lockdowns have uh, not produced benefit. But on, on the flip side, they have produced quantifiable harm of the most enormous degree, to the extent that the likes of uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, who was one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, along with from Stanford, along with uh, Martin Kuldorf from uh, from Harvard and um, and Dr. Gupta from uh, from Oxford, England, uh, Dr. Bhattacharya. Uh, Bhattacharya said, and I quote, lockdowns have been the single biggest mistake in public health history. That's from an esteemed, seasoned, very mainstream epidemiologist. It's at that scale of madness that this was introduced and maintained still in many places in the world. I'm glad to see that you know, a goodly portion of American states are now breaking ranks uh, following Florida's um, and uh, Dakota's, South Dakota's uh, lead. Very pleased to see that. But it, it, it needs to be stopped immediately tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, the harm that's being introduced by, by lockdowns, we'll talk about later, is just grotesque. Um, it has no evidence. Um, the quality adjusted life years lost, um, it, it, which includes the the enormous knock on consequences of depression and and addictions and and so on, um, that's been quantified as between five and ten times um, the background um, that would have been normally expected. So lockdowns have been a grotesque failure of public health. And, um, and have now been said to be so by authorities in the field, uh, in quite independent minds outside of government, which, of course, is where you have to go. Um, you, you cannot rely on government for any of these uh, statistics anymore. So, so, so that, those two things have, have contravened that most important medical ethic of first do no harm which um, we're, as regular physicians, we're all expected to adhere to. And if we don't do that, we get accused of medical negligence, we get sued, um, people can die. Uh, The medical officers of health who are behind, essentially, many of these mandates, the politicians are simply signing off on them or or changing them in in some um, arbitrary fashion. But the, the ultimate authority behind these lockdowns are, are of course, physicians. And physicians, um, these physicians in public health, um, should be held to an even higher standard than ordinary physicians looking after a patient. Because a physician is looking after a patient. Whereas these public health officials who are physicians are looking after millions mm-hmm. of people, hundreds of millions of people. And so the standards to which they should be held to should be that much higher. And again, we can talk about that later, Tommy, in terms of the Achilles heel of this whole mess is really to nail the public health physicians for 
medical negligence of the highest order. Do you think that we will eventually see that? Do we think? Do you think that politicians will pivot in such a way that they realize the madness can't go on, so they'll find a scapegoat and have them well, slaughtered? When the history of this is written, which it will be, um, the, the books, an enormous number of analyses will take place. Um, reputations will be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, the obviousness of this um, will be uh, portrayed in the clearest terms that the lay public will understand as, as I've said, the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. The virus is real, but the interventions are a hoax because they have no basic predicate for why they are doing this. In fact, it's it's almost, it's, it's not that there's no evidence um, for it. There's loads of evidence against it, which are which is being ignored. And that that essentially is the essence of a hoax, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you're pulling the wool over people's eyes, despite knowing the truth. Mm-hmm. That's the essence of a hoax. Now, with something like, let's just use, let's use the war in Iraq. Let's use Dick Cheney, the former uh, CEO of Halliburton, and him being the vice president and the revolving door of Halliburton getting a lot of contracts in Iraq for not only oil, but as well as uh, construction. Uh, was It's called um, uh, DECON, I think, Defense, defense con- Contracting, DECON, WARCON, whatever it is. There is something where you can look at and go, okay, it's almost a little, yeah, we went into Iraq, but you can kind of, you can see, oh, there were some legitimate kickbacks, right? 95% of the world's poppy fields are there. Like, it's not, it's not all, it's not all innocent. It wasn't just a blunder. Do you think, and and I I think I already know the answer because we kind of went over this in the last episode. You think that this is more around, this isn't that that competent malice that it seems like something like the Iraq war was where there were billions of dollars being pocketed. You don't see that with this. This does seem a little more like incompetence, saving face. And as you illustrated the golden rule of politics, if never, I, never admit if you're I wrong. Could make, if I could make another pun. Yes. It's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's not herd immunity. It's the herd mentality. It's the, it's the herd mentality. It's putting a, f- a nice face on things. It's the, the puns are limitless. It's a, it's, you know, if that's one thing we can get out of this, but it's. Look, look most, most politicians are not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yeah. They, they've got charisma. Um, they want power. That doesn't mean to say that they've got much between the ears. No. Um, they, in this particular case, they just stampeded off the cliff and took everyone, trying to take everyone with them mm-hmm. um, on the basis of information that was not checked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you if you're the CEO of a corporation and, and you hear some stories about one of your competitors uh, taking a giant slice out of your, out of your sales, um, you know, before you start reacting in various ways, you check the data, you know, you check the data. And they didn't do that. That's, that's hugely culpable. But could I could I go on to the third? Sure, the third failure? Let's do it. Um, and we'll cover a lot of things in this podcast, Tom. The third failure, that they're so culpable at this one, 
The third failure was that the failure to report to the general public the cumulative adverse consequences of the interventions on various things, general health care, being able to visit dying relatives, funerals, weddings, school closures, graduations, thousands of small business bankruptcies. These have been going on now for a year. Either they have been monitoring this and are too ashamed to release the statistics, or they're culpable of not having done the obvious, as a CEO would demand of his VPs. They're, they're guilty of not collecting the data that was so obviously needed. Either way, grossly culpable. Either hiding information that they knew the public would think it does not support the actions, or not measuring things that were before their faces. All kinds of personal stories that everyone is hearing, not just the lay public, but the politicians in charge have been hearing the stories themselves about not being able to hold the hand of a dying father on his deathbed. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's a statement that was made to me and it hit me in the guts. The jackboots of the state in interfering with everyday life in those ways is utterly unacceptable. So they're guilty both ways for not quantifying and releasing information over a period of a year, a long period of time, either not collecting that information or collecting it and hiding it. That's, that's terrible. And when, it, when it's applied to things like school closures, I call that child abuse, denying children the education of, non, of appreciating nonverbal communications, of forcing them to stay at home in potentially an abusive family situation, of denying them their social contacts, their sports involvement, taking a year out of their academic lives, and all supported by what? A fear? that the children might be giving it to the teachers. It's not happening. There's no evidence for it. Children are not spreaders of this disease. What, what this disease is in that circumstance is the power of the teachers unions to have their teachers sitting at home getting a nice fat salary when everyone else is hemorrhaging. And instead of teaching the children, which is what they're supposed to be doing, hiding at home, while the children are suffering. That is despicable. And I, I roundly condemn it as a form of child abuse inflicted on society, at least in the States, by the school unions, the, the teachers unions. What is going, do you think we're going to see long-term effects from the lack of social contact, social cues that you learn going right it's not just you don't just learn about the pilgrims in world war ii you also friends you know you, you literally develop you know how to talk to a girl how to make friends how to you know kind of come out of your shell when to shut up when to okay i was wrong how far you can push how far you can't push but also it, i mean that you could say that's middle school but if we even went back further though into a more pun intended the puns are limitless elementary levels right i mean kindergarten first second grade I mean, just facial cues, not oh, even the, the, not even clicks. But I mean, just he's smiling. Are you angry? Did you are you laughing? Are you scared? Are you? I mean, we 
is there, are there going to be long term effects? Are we? I mean, are we going to raise uh, un- a generation un- of psychopaths? Like un- un- unquestionably, un- unquestionably, uh, it, it it will have a, an enormous knock on consequence for society because these children will eventually become adults and we, we deprive them of essential elements of their upbringing and training and, and understanding relationships. Um, yeah, most, most certainly. But even in the short term, um, you know, th- there's between totally normal people and those who committed suicide, there's a gray zone, an infinite gray zone in which people are suffering in some form or other from some mental psychological condition. And those people, given the constraints that that they're experiencing now, lack of social contact, not seeing their doctor even, um, virtual virtual contact with physicians, which is nowhere close to a real face-to-face serious psychological discussion. Um, those people are nudged towards more extreme versions of what they've got. Um, for some of them resulting in, in suicide, for some resulting in drug addiction, um, alcoholism, um, spousal abuse, child abuse. Um, it nudges those people in that gray zone towards more extreme um versions of what they had uh who, who's to know what the cumulative effect of that is across hundreds of millions of people it can't be positive mm-hmm. it's hard to measure but it's almost certainly there the could i move on to yes, the sir. third one yeah yeah I, i've lost track but keep count for me Tommy. I, th- I think i think we just did number three <laughs> all right well the next one is um and this is also, they're all very important, but each one's, we've got to dissect each one yeah, of them. Yeah, let's do it. Um, failure to halt the testing of asymptomatic people with PCR-based methods. It should stop immediately. It has no purpose medically to know who it happens to be carrying a frag, even if the test is accurate, which is something that we know is not true. But leaving that aside, even at even excluding the false positives, to merely identify someone having a fragment of this RNA virus in their nose who feels perfectly well is medically useless information. Because first of all, they're not sick. Secondly, there's no magic bullet, even if they were sick. But also, it, it, it has no consequence people who have this fragment of a virus in the nose, maybe the entire virus, maybe a fragment of it, it doesn't really matter. They are not infectious to other people. And that's all that really matters here. If you're concerned about infectiousness, which I don't think we should be, it should be natural transmission that is just as allowed to, to play its course. But if you're concerned about transmission, testing asymptomatic people is absolute madness. Because one of the central tenets of transmissibility is the dose, the concentration, the amount of the bug that you're giving to someone else. You need a certain amount in order for it to create an infection in the person that's receiving it. Um, And clearly, if you're asymptomatic, you don't have many bugs in your nose. Hello, knock, knock. Isn't it screamingly obvious? 
I'm, I mean, I'm not talking science here. I'm talking just something that's patently obvious. Yeah. Um, you, you need enough in your nose to create an infection. If you don't have enough in your nose to create an infection, there's not enough to give it to somebody else. It's as simple as that. Um, so asymptomatic testing should stop because it's useless, but it should also stop for other reasons. It should stop because it's driving the paranoia, the fear of getting something that's actually relatively mild. So you see the rising graph in the morning paper of cases. Well, in medicine, we call a case someone who is actually symptomatically sick. That is a case. To call these so-called positive results a case is enormously misleading and intended to be so, Mm -hmm. to maintain the panic, the drive to conform and now to take the vaccine. So that's the second unfortunate knock-on consequence. Quite apart from being useless, it drives paranoia, which again is the is more grist for the mill for the politicians to double down on the idiocy. You know, if one mask isn't enough, well, let's try two, and maybe it will be ten next week. Uh, you know, flip flop, Fauci. Uh, you know, that clown that, that's running things for you. But the the final the final the final problem with with um, asymptomatic testing is this: you result it results in contact tracing. Now, the average person in an average day might have 10 people that they've shook hands with and and met. So those people get taken out of the workforce too. But just think this through for a minute. Let's assume that these politicians have allowed restaurants to open again. Oh, thank you so much. You are so kind, you know, to allow us to operate our business once again. Thank you so very much. But what's the point if you take out my chef and all the servers because of contact tracing? You shut down my business anyway. So contact tracing has this awful knock-on consequence. Take nursing homes, for example. One nursing home attendant gets a false positive result. And so the whole team out of that nursing home is taken out of action. But we've got people lying in bed in their feces right now down the cor- down the corridor there. We need someone to replace that team right now. And guess who walks in the door? People who are totally unfamiliar with the institution. They're just being rustled up out of nowhere quickly because it's urgent. And they haven't a clue about infection control. So you see how contact tracing makes a bad situation ten times worse, and and and, and totally pointless. So that that's you know that's that's the essence of, of PCR testing. It, it's it's methodolo- methodologically um, suspect for all kinds of reasons, creating quite probably more for, for the asymptomatic uh, population, probably not probably almost certainly um, creating more false positives than true positives for the asymptomatic population. The stats are not in yet, but it's probably in the 50 to 90% range. Um, That's the scale of false positives when you test millions of people who may have just one fragment of RNA virus in the nose or maybe not at all. Um, that's, That's the scale 
that um, this process has resulted in. There's, again, there seems to be, it's like we're all kind of acting out this charade. I worked at a liquor store last summer. And we'd look at in the parking lot and you'd see people, you know, pull up in their car, maybe, you know, a couple of guys getting ready to go to the beach or people walking up on foot. And, you know, everyone stops right outside the door. Put on your mask. So no one has masks on outside. Inside, we're all looking at the window, seeing customers come in. We all put on our mask. <laughs> we come in. You see, we all do you see this that? little dance. They leave. We leave. We see them take them off. We pop them off. The, the new thinking is that that it's both droplets and aerosols uh, that cause transmission. You shouldn't be out there anyway. We've, we've covered that. It, but if you're out there coughing and spluttering, it's not just the droplets that um, you're producing around the mask that's poorly fitting, that's soaking anyway, that you're taking off to speak on your cell phone and have a smoke and have a drink, whatever, whatever, right? I mean, it, it, the whole thing, in terms of how they're, how they're being used is a whole other story. Um, but aerosols uh, mean that it's everywhere. It's way beyond the six-foot rule, right? The separate, the social distancing. I hate these new words. You know, keeping apart for six feet. What's the point if it's in the air everywhere inside? It's an aerosol that's wafted around by the air currents within a building. We don't have to worry about outside, obviously. I mean, that's a ludicrous issue. We don't even need to discuss it. But in a building, air currents are taking that aerosol everywhere. And that's why... You get it just by walking down an aisle with no one else in it. Um, it it's everywhere. So that's a, a, a relatively new, uh, I think, consensus that's appearing that uh, it's not just droplets, it's aerosols. It, Could I move on to the next failure? Can I use the, the, next, can I use the restroom? <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm dying of COVID. Can I use the restroom real quick? <laughs> I'll stand by. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll mute my mic. And we are back. Thank you for your patience. Next point. Yeah, let's go on. Um, if any testing of any type should be done, it should be done only on people who are manifestly sick and for whom we're contemplating admitting you to hospital or not. Right there in the emergency department. That's the only point where a sample should be taken to determine if someone has really has COVID or not, or, or the flu maybe, or, or some other condition. The testing in that situation requires a much lower volume capability than it does when you're testing asymptomatic people. The, that type of testing at a much lower volume should be done by the gold standard of identifying any bug. And that gold standard is called sequencing, a very different technology. It's how the genome project was done. It's looking for the letters of the genetic code, a string of 12 letters from any genome appropriately chosen will define uniqueness because it's four to the power of 12, which is a gigantic number. Sequencing by what's called gets technical sequencing by the Sanger method, which is a method that um, Fred Sanger discovered and for which he got the Nobel Prize 
and for which the Genome Project was done, that doesn't just give an accurate um, identification of what the bug is or is not, but it also verifies the identification because you can see the letters of the genetic code coming off the sequencing machine, as opposed to PCR, which is a, has a huge believe me factor. There's no way of verifying the accuracy of PCR. Conceptually, in the machine, a light bulb goes off and you've no idea if the light bulb is, has gone off because it's really detected COVID or if it's detected or if it's falsely detected something else. So that method of testing is well known. It's nothing new. It's, 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 pre, it's, it's been well established as the gold standard. And it could certainly be scaled up to the kind of volume that's required for the testing that's needed in the situation where it is needed, where you're trying to determine if I should admit you to hospital or not. Currently, there is a, a whole slew of money that Biden's released late in the game to do just that. It should have been initiated immediately. Everyone knew it was superior, but they chose to use the method that had the, the gadgets, the instruments in every lab to do it on. Um, knowing full well that that was an inaccurate test that would create a huge number of false positives. So that's another area of culpability. It's not ignorance. The technology has been out there, proven as the gold standard for a long time, and they chose not to scale it up for the restricted locations where it was needed. Now, is this something where we could maybe find a financial interest in those who are no, doing I, the testing? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think, uh, to be honest with you, Tommy, I know where you're going with that. <laughs> I, I, this is not a conspiracy theory at any level. Mm -hmm. What it is, is, an, is evidence of herd mentality, of politicians thinking about re-election rather than the people that they're supposed to represent wanting to show that they're going to muscle this thing to the ground and, you know, uh, we're going to save you and we expect your gratitude at the next election. Um, backed by the incompetence of these medical officers of health, who are usually not the sharpest knife in the drawer, to put it mildly. You know, they prior to COVID, they were managing, you know, rather boring um, vaccination programs, measuring the quality of water and so on and so on. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do that on a routine basis. So these people were suddenly thrust into the limelight and being ex expected to be rocket scientists. Um, and of course, we, as we all know, as, as I've elaborated, they failed, and as I will in, with the rest of these failures, um, they have failed miserably um, in that task. My next one is um, the failure to classify deaths appropriately. Now, when you look at the stats of mortality, look, it, given the huge uncertainty in this whole field of what's, what's true and what's false, how many false positives are there, um, what are people dying of, etc., etc. The only hard statistic that we have until retrospective analyses with serology, which shows who actually had this condition, 
a year ago and who didn't. Um, until those stats are in, and a true analysis of the prevalence of this condition um, is, is, is published, the only number that we have to go on, the only number, are the number of people dying. Overall, in general. Just across the board. And when you look at that, it hasn't changed. Yeah, isn't it like two point? In the in the United it, States, isn't it like two point four? It's the same. It it hasn't changed from the statistical variation of previous years. But more to the point, when you dissect those statistics of the attributed cause of death, you find something very remarkable. You find that the deaths attributed to heart disease and cancer have fallen dramatically. Well, let me assure everyone that's listening, as a, I'm talking as a pathologist now, I can assure you categorically that COVID does not cure cancer, that lockdowns do not cure cancer. I can assure you that the same number of people have been dying of cancer and heart disease. But the, the little wisp on their cheek that took them away in a very frail situation a month or two before their death that would normally be brushed off by a, a vigorous immune system, which they don't have anymore. A little brush on the cheek with COVID was enough to take them into that death spiral that we don't understand in medicine, where you get multi-system failure and sadly you pass away for reasons that we don't understand. It happens all the time at the time of death when systems are all failing simultaneously. So there's been a massive misclassification of deaths as being said due to COVID as opposed to with COVID. And part of that has been, the only conspiracy theory that I think I'd espouse is the um, obvious incentive, particularly in the States, but also in Canada for other reasons. But in the States, the financial mm -hmm. incentive to classify someone as dying due to COVID, when uh, and there, there can be great pressure put on physicians to sign off that way by hospital administrators who are simply trying to make sure that we they capture as much uh, revenue from government as and insurers as possible. So, yeah, that's that they're complicit. They are complicit in every physician that signs off under pressure of their hospital administration to sign off a death as due to COVID. Each one of those physicians is complicit in this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you. But you see, what but what it what it demonstrates overall is precisely what I said at the start. There is no problem. People are not dying in massive numbers due to COVID. The vast majority of people are shrugging, shrugging it off as as a cold or just a, a, a trivial flu. And, and the people that are dying in nursing homes, sadly, would have died in a very short order of time anyway. And, and with the, the death certificate saying Alzheimer's or terminal cancer or heart failure um, or pneumonia, the standard causes of death, but not due to COVID. No, no. The statistics, the, the only statistic that we can rely on right now are the number of people dying. And that's not changing. Yeah, it's like, um, 
you know, my late grandmother passed away several years ago. But I remember in the last like five years of her life, it would always be, you know, when we would go visit her, if one or if she was, you know, if, you know, wherever she was coming to visit us. If one of us was sick, you know, my mom, who's a nurse, would always be like, you know, steer clear. Like, just because it was just, she's old, she's frail. Hey, you've had the sniffles for the last couple of days. Wave to her, you know. She's she's in her 80s. And it was just understood, just, you know, don't, or I'd be at a friend's house, or, hey, man, my grandma's coming over. Hey, dude, I've, I haven't felt good lately. I don't want to give her pneumonia. And it was, it's understood by everyone. You don't need a medical degree. Oh, they're old, they're frail. Yeah, don't, don't get them sick because what you and I brush off in 48 hours will take them down. Yep. With this, all of a sudden, it's it's the most lethal thing in the world. And it's... You see, we, we, we don't, in medicine, we don't have a way of measuring the uh, frailty of the immune system. Mm-hmm. We can measure your liver function, your kidney function, your heart function, your lung function, um, your, your, uh, your bone marrow function. We can measure all that very precisely. But other than measuring the level of immunoglobulins, the, the antibodies that you've got, um, other than doing that, we can't measure the frailty of the immune system, um, which is basically due to lymphocytes and mm-hmm. T cells that, that um, are the, the, the real muscle, you might say, of the immune system. Mm-hmm. We, we have no ready way of measuring that. But I can guarantee you that as people are dying in nursing homes with failing organs, the immune system is one of those organs. Mm-hmm. We just have a hard time measuring it. Mm-hmm. And so they are uniquely vulnerable mm-hmm. to any any infection. You know, you've heard the old, the old term, the old man's friend, pneumonia, mm. right? Um, yeah, that's, that's why people die of pneumonia. They have a frail immune system. Could I move on to vitamin yes. D? Yes, sir. Tommy? Um, there's been... A total failure to promote the life-saving potential of vitamin D, which is totally safe, cheap, and there's with overwhelming evidence of uh, success in preventing, uh, treating people uh, who've got the disease with vitamin D is another matter. There's, that's believed to be effective there too with, with megadoses. But let's talk about the prevention side of it. There's overwhelming evidence of the protective effect of vitamin D from getting symptomatic COVID infection. It's, it's international in scope. It's, there's in, it, there are an enormous number of publications. And so you have to ask yourself, I mean, <laughs> the litany of stupidity goes on and on. I mean, we've, we've covered some of it already. But if, you, if you're faced with a situation where you are claiming something to be of enormous importance, an emergency that warrants emergency authorization of an unsafe vaccine, for example, that we'll come to later. If you're saying that out of one side of your mouth, you should not be allowed to say out of the other side of your mouth that we prohibit advocating the use of something that seems to have enormous value that could save your life is dirt cheap and totally non-toxic you can't have it both ways if it is an emergency you should pull out all the stops 
if you're at war like you say you are which we shouldn't be this is not a war this is something this is a little border skirmish um but if it is war you pull out all the stops don't you yeah vitamin d hydroxychloroquine sunlight you'd you'd use them all whatever it takes if it's safe take the dogs off advocate their usage let physicians prescribe it certainly ivermectin the evidence isn't totally in yet hydrochloroquine evidence isn't totally in yet um hydrochloroquine's minor minor problem with heart arrhythmias is irrelevant because it's being used by billions of people internationally for malaria prophylaxis and similarly ivermectin for other purposes in the third world um why not you can't have it both ways either it is an emergency where you pull out all the stops i don't mean mandates and lockdowns and all that i'm talking about preventative measures uh, the that are therapeutic in nature you can't have it both ways so you know what what's going to happen of course is what happened last last year um the deaths will stop in the summer well why do the deaths stop in the summer it's because the sun comes up the sun i think comes up every year in the summer doesn't it and and viral infections disappear always in the summer don't they you know there's the competing theory of humidity which i think is bunk um uh viruses don't like changes in humidity um no you look at india for example right now a huge surge mm-hmm. in india well 90% of the indian population surprisingly are vitamin d deficient because if you live in india you don't like the sun tourists like it but not the not the people that live there yeah. they hide from it yeah, they cover up yeah and 90% of them are vitamin d deficient and that's got to be a huge contributor towards the the recent surge that's uh, that's going on in um in india and so the politicians come the fall you see will say to the population see see what we did we muscled it to the ground with all those lockdowns didn't we oh yeah we've got close to zero now haven't we well that's the classic fallacy trap just because b follows a does not mean that a caused b prove it to me don't make this grandiose assumption that it was your macho capabilities that wrestled this to the ground absolute nonsense unproven get off your high horse and simply stop doing all the things that have been shown to be ineffective advocate for vitamin d and let life go on as normal with increased protection for the vulnerable in nursing homes who are in a place that's already self quarantined because it has walls and doors you don't have to quarantine the entire world if you're simply trying to prevent older people from dying knock knock it's so screamingly obvious the one thing i do see <clears throat> to 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 kind of go back is the is the incentive with the hospitals to say you had a patient who died of covid and i believe and i'm sure i have the numbers wrong but you get something like three times the payment if that person who died from covid quote unquote also went on a ventilator 
you it goes yep. from like a thousand dollars to like three thousand or or ten thousand to thirty thousand, whatever it is. That is a very real incentive. Another incentive, if I may, slap a tinfoil hat on, is you know when you when everyone is at home and you really people you know you go to Walmart, those are the only ones that are open, or you order from Amazon. You could say that there's an incentive because we get these big stimulus checks from Uncle Sam, which are actually from us, and you spend it at those big stores. They are getting subsidized through a roundabout way by Uncle Sam. I mean, we're seeing the wealth grow of the top, you know, 100 billionaires by an absurd amount. It's the biggest wealth transfer in history, bigger than the 2008 financial crash, bigger than 1928 or 1929. There does seem to be some. I, it's just I don't think the financial incentives exist in what I initially thought. Oh, it's big pharma. No, it seems that it's there's just these ways of people who want to keep the gravy train from the government coming in, and the people yep. in the government are happy to do that because it makes yep. it look like, hey, we're your saviors. And, and the unions are more than happy. Mm-hmm. You, you've got people sitting at home on full salary, while small businesses, the engine of the economy. Mm-hmm is small business. It's not the apples and fords of the world. It's the entrepreneurs who put their, their life savings on the table to create a business that isn't just profitable for themselves. They employ people and those people pay taxes. Mm-hmm. The engine of the economy is small business. Mm-hmm. And it's small business that's being crucified right now mm-hmm. to the detriment of the country, not just in terms of the incremental borrowing on national debts, which itself is is outrageous, but the shortfall of cash coming in the door, which means we've got to do something about that. We've got to pay the interest on the debt, which we've massively increased. Let's hope inflation doesn't increase significantly, but even if it stays steady, we have to increase taxes or reduce services or devalue the currency, one of the three or a mix thereof. In order to make sense of this um, economic catastrophe that we have created for no reason, the the knock-on consequences of this for future generations in terms of standard of living, uh, quite apart from restraints of freedom, which we'll come to in terms of vaccine passports and so on, um, our children are being, the politicians have just kicked this can down the road for our kids to pick up. uh, an inheritance that um, is so regrettable with reduced standard of living and, and con- potentially constrained freedoms. Um, so, yeah, uh, knock-on consequences um, everywhere you look. Could I move on to yes, another sir. issue? Yes, sir. Let's talk about the big one now, vaccines. Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um This was not an emergency. Ferguson tried to make it so, and so did the media. And the politicians jumped to attention and tried to react in ways that were proportionate to what they were being told was the scale of the problem. But there never was an emergency. All that was needed was to protect the vulnerable, as the Great Barrington Declaration said so beautifully, with focused protection. The vaccine was rushed to market with a time frame that was um, ridiculous, six months of testing. Normally a vaccine has a two to four year 
period of time in which you're looking for unusual, unexpected, unpredictable consequences, adverse effects as they're called, to see if the vaccine should be approved for general use, not just emergency authorization. So they brought this vaccine in that was unneeded and they called it safe. That word was not qualified by any anything other than believe me. Well, how dare they? It wasn't just that it was rushed to market unnecessarily, but it was an actual brand new method of doing it, which should have made it an even longer period of time before it was approved for general use. So right now we have the biggest experiment in medical history going on, the biggest prospective clinical trial ever with billions of people getting this stuff injected into them without any evidence of long-term safety. And then guess what happened? A few months into the game. Well, 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 we started getting these unfortunate uh, thrombotic events, largely in women under 55, with um, cerebral venous thrombosis and thromboses in other parts of the body. Well, if adverse effect reporting is anything to go by historically, it's grossly grossly underreported. And there's a gray zone of presentation of these things, um, whereby maybe women who had a bad headache for a week or two actually had cerebral venous thrombosis that wasn't profound enough to make them go to hospital and be fully investigated with... um, with all the various um, imaging modalities. So the likelihood is that we haven't seen close to the uh, total number of adverse reactions that are being reported. And and then, of course, there's the concerning uh, reports of deaths in old people occurring shortly after um, getting a vaccination. Um, Those numbers seem to be climbing quite dramatically. there's not sufficient cumulative evidence yet to be sure. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the issue with, with vaccines. It, to think of it being, them being used in pregnant women, um, you know, the evidence on infertility is, is theoretical. I don't think that's, that's been shown to be, to be a, a concern. But, but there's been no extensive clinical trials for pregnant women or children. Children, of course, should never get this vaccine. I mean, it's outrageous to even contemplate giving them a vaccine for something that they're just not dying of at all. Um, it, it, so the, the vaccine situation is is, um, is is terrible, the way it's being essentially forced on people um, as a way of, it's almost by threat, um, you know, we'll only take the dogs off. We'll only lift the mandates and allow you to open your businesses if you're stupid enough to take an experimental vaccine. That's the, the basic message of the politicians. Um, trying to wriggle off the hook of having previously said it's safe by words, mealy words, such as, you, you know, it's an evolving science. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a woman who's dying of a cerebral venous thrombosis, you're not a statistic. You're a person. Yeah. You are a person and you've been lied to because you might have decided not to take that vaccine if, you told, if you'd been told it was unsafe. And that comes down to the second medical ethic that's being contravened that of informed consent. 
We talked about the Hippocratic oath of do no harm. But there's also that important concept of informed consent. You get sued for that. And so why shouldn't we be taking all these um, these medical officers of health internationally to task for that? They're physicians like everyone else, like every other physician. They are saying something is safe when it is not safe in the usual use of the word. They are lying about that and they should be brought to task for it. If people want to take this vaccine, knowing what the risks are, I'm not going to stop them. That's a personal decision between them and perhaps their physician. But they should not be forced, essentially, into taking something that is not safe. So then, of course, you get into the whole business of of vaccine passports as a knock-on of that. Um, and, and essentially the messaging there is, is, is translated as follows. Um, I'm speaking as a politician now, somewhat euphemistically. You know, we're not telling you that you have to take the vaccine. It really is your personal choice. You know, we get, we get slaughtered in the courts if we try to do that. So for that reason, we're not doing it. We'd love to, actually. We'd love to hold you down. Do but we can't do we can't do it so we're not actually going to tell you that you have to take the vaccine oh no 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 we're not going to do that no we're just going to say that if you don't take the vaccine you can't travel anywhere so you know what it's all up to you isn't it it's 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 uh it's right it's kind of like uh it's like when we sell when we sell weapons to other countries and we're like you should buy these you know if you don't buy them it'd be a shame if you know someone intruded in your airspace now, if you do want them, you can be part of the global system. You can be part of NATO. We'll let you into our satellite links, and you'll have the Pentagon looking over your shoulder and helping you. If you don't, I mean, I don't know. You might have ISIS come banging down your door. It's there's not really an option. Hey, you don't have to leave your apartment. You don't. I'm not going to tell you you have to leave your apartment. I am lighting a fire on the first floor, though. Okay, <laughs> and the fire's going up. Everyone else is leaving. I can't tell you to leave. I'm just. It's up to you. It's it's a personal choice, man. The flames are now on the second floor. It's a personal choice, Doctor third floor it's it's a personal choice dr hodkinson you might want a fourth floor i gotta go but you know stay here if you'd like i mean Let, let's talk about one other aspect okay. it's just coming up the woodwork now this this uh, concept of uh, uh contagious vaccinosis i'm not sure if you've heard of that i word. have not um there, there are lots of reports now uh, swirling around the internet of women claiming that their menstrual periods have started behaving erratically, heavy heavy bleeding, delayed periods, uh, and so on. Um, and the concept that this idea of contagious vaccinosis, the idea is that somehow um, these women are picking up um, this RNA from unvaccinated women are picking up this RNA from people around them who have been vaccinated. And that is the reason why their menses are undergoing strange change. Now, it's being dressed up as um, RNA getting into the, the squames, the cells in your skin that are sloughing off all the time, that form the, the principal component of dust um, inside 
and those are being inhaled and therefore I'm acquiring it DNA simply because you're shedding the DNA in your skin as a result of being vaccinated. And then the other explanation that's being used is it's it's not actually an RNA transfer that's taking place. It's um, it's the vaccination in women um, who are um, in, who are w- women women um, exhale ferrums. We all do chemicals that mm-hmm. um, communicate. Um, uh, a chemical signal to other people in in proximity. That's the, one of the reasons why people think that um, women in, who are working together intensively all start menstruating uh-huh. at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and that, that there's substantial reason to support that. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is that somehow women who have been vaccinated are changing their ferrome production, and that is influencing. Um, the menses of women around them. Uh, I mention that because it's swirling around the internet and uh, it doesn't have any real plausibility um, as opposed to the well-known reality that the women's periods can be severely affected mm-hmm. by, um, by stress. And of course, if there's anything that describes stress, it's uh, living through... Um, a, a year of this nonsense mm-hmm. where you might have had to homeschool your kids and and live with an abusive spouse and, and who knows what, you mm-hmm. know, financial stress and so on and so on. I mean, women over the last year must have been subjected to enormous stresses yeah. of various kinds. Yeah. And that, that may well be the, the ultimate reason for this new term, contagious vaccinosis, mm-hmm. um, which intuitively doesn't seem to make much sense. Mm-hmm. Tinfoil hat time. Do you think that there could be a wide push to, I mean, I don't think there's really any evidence of it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm truly pulling this out of my butt, but could there be a, could this be a wide push for eventual population control? Could it push infertility? Is there, do you think, no, my should I just take the tinfoil hat back off? No, I'll, I, I'll I put really it away. Think so. I'll put my hat away. I, I mean, look, I mean, all these ridiculous interventions were introduced within days of each other mm-hmm. internationally. Mm-hmm. You know, to think that this was pre-planned, uh, that all these politicians were part of this scam, and were just dying to, you know manipulate people because of it i mean that that doesn't make sense they didn't even know it was going to hit them in the first place what i do think has happened is that the the ease of manipulating public opinion and the ease of controlling people has given grist to the mill of the great resetters who want to use that as a way of achieving the objectives of this, you know, utopia of socialism, where, you know, everyone has a guaranteed income and no one works and somehow life goes on, you know. Um, I, I, I think that they're, they're maliciously manipulating that. Um, the Democrats in the States are certainly doing that. Um, the, you know, the people that uh, gather in Davos, um, they're, they're, 
they're licking their lips that um, this shows we can control people mm-hmm. if we subject them to sufficient fear mm-hmm. and if we suppress any counter narrative which they've been very shown to be very capable of doing uh, of which I merely I merely one little little microscopic example um, colleges suppressing physicians the ultimate source of um, people to um, confirm a, a political narrative um, so suppression threat um, is grist for the mill for the great resetters and I, I don't think it was anything in this pandemic was intentional I think it's it's just um, heard thinking for everybody listening the world the great reset is not it, it was announced by the heads of the world economic forum this isn't dr h and i you know putting yeah. i've been wearing a tinfoil hat on and off this episode this is from yeah. their mouths this this isn't even like a leaked memo this is publicly proclaimed by them they call it the great reset you will own nothing and you will be happy that's from the world economic forum it's from davos this isn't us spouting it's but what yeah. you're saying is 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 this seems more like a it's uh what what's uh never let a never let a tragedy go to waste it's never let is, a good crisis yeah, go to waste never let a good yeah. crisis go to waste this has it's kind of like the idea it's like was 9-11 perpetrated by the u.s government probably not but we know and i mean it's it's been historical since eisenhower that we that they have legislation on the shelves in case of, in case of a nuclear war they have all the war plans on the shelves we will pass this bill we will pass this bill the patriot act was on the shelf and 9-11 came along and it was hey let's let's send this baby right through the you know fly through what you're saying is is oh here's this pandemic hey let's let's use this puppy we've got this here's this big wave let's let's you know let's surf this we got this let's not let it go to waste and i think that's probably that's probably the most likely uh i guess reality of it right so let me finish with a statement sure you know uh, I told you what I was going to tell you, and now I'm going to tell you what I told you. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. Everybody take your masks off and just go back to life. There's nothing you can do. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> nothing works. Yeah. Nothing could work. Nothing did work. And nothing will work. Period. Yeah. What else do you want to know? Live life as normal. Don't visit Granny. And tell the government to go to hell. Hell yeah! I need. I, I want to get my mom to knit that into a little placemat. Go back to work. Don't visit Granny. Tell the government to go to hell. Home sweet home. I want that knitted behind me. <laughs> it's. But I mean, it's like that's like the truth that like a, a lot of people don't but i mean like that but that even applies to bigger life man it's like you can exercise you can take multivitamins you can stretch and diet man it no one gets out of this thing you might make it to 100 you might make it to 150 you die there might be hey if you're jeff bezos and you got a fifth of a trillion dollars maybe there's radical life extension you might make it to a thousand years the universe is going to die heat death the big crunch or the big freeze it's 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 there's no no one's getting out of this. So this is just a microcosm. You're not. You can obey all of the quarantine. Hey, you will die eventually. You will risk die. Risk has to be. Period. Risk has to be understood. Yeah, 
as an essential element of life because it's not just the freedom to undertake risk if you want to go skydiving mm -hmm. for example but it's also the risk that underpins the economy if entrepreneurs don't take risk the economy tanks yeah and you won't have a social net you won't have a healthcare system you won't have public education if the economy tanks the economy is only there because of risk takers who put their lives lift life savings on the table and said i'm going to go for it yeah it's it's a big casino and you, you don't you can't go to a casino and go i don't want to lose any money that's not what the casino is if you don't want to lose any money then, then go home and watch tv but if you want to roll up to the casino, you got a suit on, and you're dressed to the nines, and you're drinking some gin and smoking a cigar, and you might leave there with a million dollars, it is possible. You might lose it all. You probably will. But that's the beauty of the casino. It's adult fun. You go there and you live. I got into medical school, okay? I had everything set out. I was going to be a doctor, white coat, job security. I was going to be set. And I said, screw that. I took seven years out of my life and tried to figure out what I wanted to do because I wanted to, I wanted to make money doing what I like. That was my goal. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I did, a, I did two years of writing. That didn't work. Then I did graphic design. That didn't work. I tried stand-up comedy. That didn't work. I tried doing like motivation. That didn't work. I finally started this podcast and it took off and now it's paying for my apartment and I sell my own merchandise of my designs. You got to be able to just wing it. You might, you might lose. What what I what I my wife and I taught our kids turned out to be very useful. The fundamental principle that we taught them in terms of their own future was that opportunity never knocks. It simply smiles as it's passing you by. Grab it, take the risk, fail, learn from it, but grab it because it's smiling on everyone else. But only you can see the potential. It's uh, that Thomas Edison quote: "Most people, most people avoid opportunity because it's dressed up like a hard day's work, or it's dressed <laughs> up. It's yeah, opportunity. Yeah, it, he says opportunity is wearing a dirty, a dirty work clothes with boots and it has coal on its face. And you go, oh, but no, that's opportunity. It's going, hey man, this is it. This is it, baby. You might, yeah. it might not work. I failed." Several. I lived. I'm 30 years old. I just moved out of my parents' house a week ago yesterday. I lived at home for five years, where all my friends were getting married and having kids. Hey, for five years, it sucked. You question yourself. What the hell am I doing? I'm doing a podcast above my parents' garage. Am I insane? This is never going to work. And he keeps falling on your face. But then it works, and it works, and it's the best thing ever. But that is life, and that's what this country is built on, is you can take that crazy risk. Elon Musk, Zip2, his company previous to PayPal, he took a bunch of money. He made like $200 million. He bought a DeLorean. No, he bought a McLaren F1 sports car. He had a girlfriend. Most people would just retire in their late 20s with $200 million. He took it all to the table. And in his words, I took it all to the next casino table, and I went in harder. And then he did PayPal, and then he started Tesla. And what did he do with all that? He took all his winnings again, and then he threw it at SpaceX and Starlink and the Boring Company. And now he's the richest man on the planet. And he lands his own rockets and shoots his own he shoots his own uh, sports cars into orbit. It, the whole thing is based on you can come here and you can you can fucking roll the dice, and you might get thrown out on the street, 
or you might land your own rockets on another but planet. That's, that's America. What you just what you just described is the essence of America. Yeah. And if America goes down, Done. that that concept goes down with it. Mm-hmm. You're all carrying the flag for entrepreneurship and risk taking. You've shown it works, but it the idiots on the other side who want to take it all down. They're not going to replace it with anything functional. Socialism is a dystopia that's failed everywhere. And I so deeply admire you guys. I'm really an American at heart who's stuck up here in in socialist Canada. We will accept you as an honorary American. I'll <laughs> smuggle you across the border. You, are an, you can be an American, Dr. H. I think... You come on here and you have more of a love for the United States and for freedom and liberty and the ability to speak your mind than most people I know that live here. So I, I think you're absolutely an American. But it's that is we can't nerf the world to quote Joe Rogan. We can't, you know, Joe Rogan used to explain about like uh, like kickboxing and like learning to wrestle. And he goes, you know, growing up. He goes, you always see these kids from like like myself, private Catholic schools. So you'd see these kids that never really fought you know teachers always broke things up and they'd come in and they'd be like i want to learn wrestling and then you get some kid from the inner city whose dad's been in jail his whole life and his mom's a pill you know or an alcoholic or you know a prostitute and he's lived a life of hard knocks and this is a kid that just has rage in him and you have these kids from the private schools that come in and they want to learn less they want to learn wrestling and then you have these animals come in that they're just going to take out everything on you that they've been penting up for the first 15 years of your life and they kick the shit out of you and you can quarantine people you can separate them from reality but there's always going to be a hungrier beast that will meet you on the playing field and right now it's china you, we can we can try to level the playing field that is a vicious army of 1.3 billion people who are clawing to the top, much like America used to. And we might try to level the playing field here in the United States, but all of a sudden, you're going to meet at an international business, whatever, say you have a computer chip company, and you come out of you know your whole life in America, and you can go meet this ruthless, unrestricted warfare Chinaman. He's going to tear you a new one. And there's no one there that's going to break it up because you're at the peak. There's no one above you. No one's going to look after you. you Chinese, to, are, the yeah. Chinese are looking at how we've handled this, and they're, they're smiling just, from blood ear coming down their to, face. from earball to earball. They're loving it. They are. They're saying to themselves, "They're right for the picking." They're, they're, they're looking at we're the fat pig, and they're just coming up through the bushes with the spear, and they're looking at us. We got a fat apple in our mouth, and we're just you know, and we're and they're sitting there, and they're skinny, and you can see their rib cage, and they're about to rip our throats open. And honestly, right. I think we might be getting what we deserve. I don't want they, to. Asymmetric warfare. Amen. They, they are going to be. We are going to be at war with China. Oh, yeah. And the first rule of fighting a war is you don't feed your enemy. Mm-hmm. You don't make them stronger and let them determine when they're going to attack you. Mm-hmm. Major, major, major mistake. That's how Hitler got going in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of parallels. Anyway. But... Really enjoyed chatting with you, uh, Tommy, again. Dr. Hodgkinson, I love it. I get so – it happened last time too. I finished the episode and I get all jacked up and I'm, I'm ready to go – I want to go start punching people. 
Probably well, I hope it works idea. well for your new business. I'm happy to um, help you along with yes, uh, boosting your your um, viewership. Yes, sir. And um, I wish you all the best. It's uh, You're the classic American. Thank you, sir. That's the greatest compliment you can give me. I, I, I hope this is just the second of many podcasts. I love having you on. I love that I'm not supposed to have you on. I love that that I had you on and I got suspended and that just makes me want to have you on more. It's, it's, it's again, it's the Voltaire thing, you know, to find out who controls you, find out who you can't criticize. To me, I'm like, you know, it's like a metal detector. I have all these guests and then I have on a guest and all of a sudden I get suspended and I'm like, there it is. There's the gold. That's who I'm having well, back on. There's, there's another lovely second world war quote. I, I'm a Churchill fan for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, in the Second World War, they used to say, "You know, you're over the target when you're getting flack." Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah, when yeah, yeah, you're over the target. Yeah, when it's blowing up all around you, and there's, well, that's it's because you're there. You're oh, the good. You're spot. doing the right thing, Tommy. So, Keep going. Yes, sir. so you got yeah, walk towards the fire. Don't walk away. Thank you, sir, Doctor Hodkinson. Thank you so much. I will put my pleasure. On, yeah, I will. Everybody, please follow it. And I don't know, maybe we'll get suspended, maybe we won't, who cares, we'll roll the dice. I'll email you, let's please do another episode sometime, you're a badass dude, you're an awesome guy, I love that you don't hold anything back, and I love that you, at the end of everything, we managed to tie it in to China's the enemy, so that's beautiful too. So, thank you sir, God bless, God bless America, thank you everybody, stay safe. Dr. H, take care my man, bye-bye. Bye-bye.